Good morning, village. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good day to be together, celebrate the good gifts that God gives of family, of fathers, and remember um, just the legacy our own fathers have passed on and the, the godly characteristics they have passed on to us. Um, I just echo what you've already heard today. Tomorrow morning starts VBS, and this platform will be transformed into a railroad of some sort. I don't know what all that is going to have. Stuff's going to happen. And um, this is a great chance to bring your kids, if you have kids, so that they will learn about Jesus and, and um, just have a great week of fun and lessons and discipleship. But also as a church, we need to be praying for the leaders. And praying for those involved, because it is an exhausting week at times. Um, every morning, really early here, and just pouring into our kids. And so we need to be pray for our leaders for strength. Pray for the kids, the ones that don't know Jesus, that their hearts would be open to that. That they'd be, be the Holy Spirit would be working, and they'd hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. So it's an exciting week, a week full of energy and controlled chaos. Well, not too much chaos, but... Um, control in the good sense not the idle sense um, but um so be praying for that a few years ago um, i was meeting with a couple men at the church for breakfast and and we were talking and i think i've shared this before but one of the questions that came up that morning is what do you want written on your tombstone what would you want written on your gravestone because that is very revealing of what's most important in life that's re- revealing of our deepest passion, our deepest heart, our deepest goals. And so I'm going to ask you fathers that this morning. What would you want written on your tombstone or gravestone? And I'm hitting you with a deep question right off the bat. So um, not here. <laughs> okay, that's a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they can understand why. <laughs> yeah, not here. Good. What else? I'm waiting here, okay? Anyone else? Don't bother me. me. Okay. Um, I'll try to repeat the answers for those online and those in the gym. Um, Anyone else? What do you want to be remembered for, dads? He loved well. well. Yeah. Yeah. He loved well. A couple more. And there was silence. There's all kinds of answers we could put on. Um, yeah, I, I hope to, that um, it can be said that he fought the good fight and finished the course. And that, that I finished well in my service of Christ. Um, I, I could put that I loved God most and I love my family well. And so there's all kinds of things we can put on our tombstone and they reflect the kind of legacy we want to leave. They, they, they affect what kind of impact we had on others around us and it reveals so much about what's important to us. And when we think of legacy and what's passed on, the choices we make now, all of us, but dads included, all of us now, the choices we make now are what affects our legacy and affect how we're remembered. In fact, for fathers and for any of us, how we invest in discipling the next generation and for dads, how we invest in our kids 
is, is so much a part of our legacy because they are our most important disciples that we're discipling. They are our most important legacy. And this is in a culture that is beginning to minimize or, or actually already has minimized parenting and the role of parents more and more. I was, I was looking up to, um, last night um, the National Alliance for Optional Parenthood. And it used to be called the National um, Alliance of Non-Parents. And I guess that that didn't quite communicate what they wanted to. But the idea of this organization is targeting those people that are married but have chosen not to have kids. And, and primarily, not for health reasons or anything else, the, on their website they say we've chosen not to have kids so we can enjoy the best life we can. Think about this. Or the other wing of this says environmentally we can't have kids because that would be irresponsible, which is just ridiculous bunk. But, um, and, and so as, as we're fighting this in culture, I'm seeing this movement grow. People, the first part of it, the selfish part of it, is we want to be kings and queens, right? We want it all. We want everything, but we just don't want princes and princesses because they get in our way. And they bother us, and they take time, and they take energy. What was interesting is at the bottom of their website, they had a bunch of articles, and someone wrote an article of why it's why getting old stinks without children. And I'm like, duh. <laughs> uh, may, maybe you're causing that problem. But all that to say that, oh, by the way, they do have a, a holiday coming up because they don't really like Mother's Day and Father's Day because that would go against their beliefs. And so they've declared August 1st as International Child-Free Day. And for those of you that are single, it doesn't count for you. It's those that are married that have chosen to be child-free, and they, they have their own day. But we're going to celebrate Father's Day. And we're going to celebrate Mother's Day because this is the structure that God built from creation for forming a family and for forming the next generation spiritually and for just the, the basis of our society. We use some words like that at the beginning of weddings because this is God's good gift. And so today we want to spend some time remembering the legacy we're to pass on, both to the younger generation, all of us, and dads to your family. And, and we want to consider what we're passing on and focus in very specifically on ending our series on Deep Idols with saying we want to focus on Jesus. We want to be passing on a heart for Jesus. Do the people following me know that my passion is first and foremost Jesus Christ? Because if that's not what they know, then my legacy is in question and my legacy is temporary. But if they can look at me and see Jesus, and only Jesus, then that is a legacy that will last and can can be passed on. And so we have verses like Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. And sometimes we stop there and that's used at dad, you made me angry. Well, no, no, you can't take the car before you have a license. Um, not that that's come up in my home. No, just kidding. <laughs> and and we, we, we stop at the first part, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. But the second part of Ephesians 6, 4, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord or a different translation, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we see this command to pass on a love for God, a desire for God, and we're to nurture that in our children. So we're going to go to two passages this morning. We're going to start in Deuteronomy 4. 
where we were at on Mother's Day. And then we're going to jump to John chapter 10. And, and you'll see why as we go through, I think. But on Mother's Day, we explored the first half of Deuteronomy 4 and, and how to pass on our faith as parents. And some of the instructions there, especially in the light of, and it's really interesting as we go through Deuteronomy 4 and 5 and 6 and just about every book of the Old Testament, as it talks about raising the next generation, it's often in the context of combating idols, which we've been talking about, and of finding a way to instill in the next generation a love for God, and, and, and we'll see in the New Testament passage, a love for Jesus that replaces a love for anything else. And again, as we've talked about idols, we've said you don't just get rid of idols. You have to replace idols. Because we always have something our heart loves. And so I can't just stop loving. I have to change what I love to deal with idolatry. And so turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we're going to see that substitute action here, that substitute process here, as God is instructing his people how to raise children, how to change their heart and have a heart for God. And then we'll jump to to John 10 and just revel in Jesus. Enjoy Jesus with truths we know and and focus on loving Jesus this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardcover one under a chair right around you. I think every other chair has one. Um, You're welcome to take that, follow along, take that home with you. But Deuteronomy 4, 25, we'll start with. And the instruction here from God to the, the children of Israel, His chosen people, when you father children and children's children, and so He's talking about being a father, but then a grandfather and generations, how you pass on a legacy. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, If you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it. You will be utterly destroyed. So that's our words of encouragement for the day. What did you learn on Father's Day? God's going to utterly destroy us. Catch what it's saying, because that's not where we're stopping. That's what we talked about the last five weeks. But it's saying when you father children, when you're passing on your faith, first start by saying, are we passing on idolatry? Are we passing on a love for anything else in our hearts greater than God? And if if that's what we're passing on, our legacy is destined to perish. And so as he talks about how to pass on our faith, he starts with, watch out for idols. Verse 27 and 28 gives more judgment of following idols. But then 29 starts a shift that we'll then explore in 32. 29 says, but from there, from the judgment, from the exile, but from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. And don't skip that verse because it's a promise. If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. Moms, dads, as you raise your kids, are we seeking the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul, like it says there? With our whole being is what that means. It's inclusive of everything in life. And if we're to keep our kids from idols, if we're to keep as a church the next generation from idols, they need to see that we seek God above all else. And they need to see it. They need to hear it. They need to know it. They need to hear our stories that Jesus is number one in our life. 
that He is preeminent, that He is above all things, that we love Him most. And so then jumping down to verse 32, we see now, now this is the Old Testament, and so it's talking about God, and Jesus isn't on the scene yet. Um, but the author does that. He says, okay, if we're to seek the Lord our God, if we're to put Him first, we need to replace the idols and focus on what God has done. I just want to read uh, the section starting at verse 32 to see how they did this, how they focus on what God has done. For ask now of the days that were past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from, from one end of heaven to another, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. And the author here is saying, okay, I'm going to ask this question, and the things I'm about to share, have they ever been heard of before? Is there any God like this? Is there anyone that could do this? And then in verse 33, he just starts to give a partial list. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know the Lord is God. There is no other beside Him. And so we see this replacing of what we love. This, this replacing of a love for idols with, remember what God has done? He spoke to you out of the fire. And you lived because of His relationship with you. He chose you as a people. He did miracle after miracle after miracle to pull you out of Egypt. So you would love him most. There is no one beside him. And so it's reflecting on what God has done. And, and, and moms and dads, this is why it is so important in our homes to share what God is doing. Even if your kids don't know all the situation, tell them your story. Tell them what you can. Say, this is how we see God work. This is how we see God work. This is how we saw God work to bring us together. This is how God saved us. And those things begin to instill in your your children a love for God more than this world. A love for God more than idols. Because there is no other God that saves. Because there is nothing else that does these works for His people. No one else. Verse 39 goes on, jumping down. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep His statutes and His commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you. And you get this passing on to our kids today as, as we celebrate Father's Day. And your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. And in this passage that I'm using as an introduction to, to reveling in Jesus, we see this instruction, stay away from the, loving the things of this world and love what God is doing and be passionate about it. There is no other. Love the Lord your God. Know that He is God. Obey Him. Grow in your gratitude for what He has done. And, and teach the next generation to do the same. And so just think for a moment, what has God done in your life? What has God done in your life that you can pass on? 
and, and start to keep that list and, and share that. And, and dads, it's okay if you share the same story a couple times. It's okay. They'll, they need to hear it. But make sure they know you love, love Jesus above all else. And so today I want to, to jump to John chapter 10 and jump to sort of putting that into practice and just reveling in Jesus. Who is Jesus? What has he done for us? What does he mean to us? And if, if, if Jesus is just this extra thing that we talk about on Sunday morning and, and we don't talk about him the rest of the week and we don't show that we love him the rest of the week and our hearts aren't serving him, our actions aren't serving him the rest of the week, then what we're teaching our children is hypocrisy. And we're teaching our children idolatry. Loving things of the world more than the things of Jesus. But as we revel in Jesus, these are things that should, should just ooze out of us. It, it's something that should come out in everything we do. You know, so in the last um, six weeks, seven weeks, as we've talked about deep idols, one of my children says, Dad, that's all you talk about is the sermon series and, and how it applies to life and we need to love Jesus. And I'm like, yep. It's not changing. <laughs> because we need to get it. And, and that's how our kids know what we're passionate about. And so we want to revel in Jesus this morning. Now, youth that are here, that were here Wednesday night, it's the same passage. And that was not planned, but it's sort of cool. Um, as, as Pastor AJ and I were talking on Friday, I'm like, hey, what'd you talk about Wednesday night? I'm like, that's interesting. That's the same verses I'm talking about Sunday. And uh, my wife said, well, maybe that means the youth really need to hear it. <laughs> because that's obviously planned by the Holy Spirit. But we want to revel in Jesus. John chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 7. And we're going to go through a section. We'll bring in some other passages from John in the New Testament as we go. But but we want this to be our our basis for where we start. Let me read 7, 8, and 9. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And as we're reveling in Jesus, our first point has to be only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves and gives eternal life. There is not salvation. There is not eternal life in any other. And that's, that's the starting point, right? That's the point of, of uh, the starting point of our love for Jesus. He loved us first and so we love him. But it says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, the imagery here is is really beautiful as he's talking about shepherding. And and as he's talking to them, the the hillsides are covered with sheep and shepherds. And Bethlehem's just just five miles south of, of Jerusalem. And there's shepherds all over the hills there. And what they would do is they would shepherd their sheep and bring them. And at night, they'd often bring them into a, a rocky enclosure with rock walls. And the enclosure would just either have an arch or an opening on one side, but no doors. And what the shepherd would often do is he would position himself overnight at the door, either laying across the door or just laying next to the door. And so what would that accomplish if the shepherd is the door? Number one, sheep aren't going to exit there because sheep will do what sheep do, which you never know why. But um, they would try to exit. So it's protecting the sheep and keeping them in the, in. 
but it's also protecting the sheep from outsiders, right? From, from coyotes that could come in or wolves or whatever they have there, um, from predators. And so Jesus is saying, I am the door. I am the one that is shepherding you in and laying across there and protecting you. And I am giving you life. And so he says, if anyone enters by me, and one of the things this means is he is the only door. He is the way in. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. See, when we think about salvation, there's a couple other verses that that come to mind. John 6, just a couple chapters before, and we'll put this on the screen. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And it's one of those seven I am statements that the youth studied Wednesday night. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And Jesus is explaining that he is going to give eternal life through his body. His body that hung on the cross, his body that was beaten, his body that was crucified on that cross in our place, taking on sin and taking on a death we deserve after living a life we couldn't. And he provided salvation. And this morning we take a truth that almost everyone in this room knows and we say, let's revel in it. Let's enjoy this because this speaks to the love and the provision. Jesus is the the living bread that came down from heaven. We will live forever if we eat of it, if we have faith in Him, if we repent and turn with it to Him. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so it's only Jesus. No idol can do this. Nothing you chase in this world can fix the sin issue. Nothing we, fa- we chase in this world for comfort or for, for power or for any of those deep idols, none of that can fix the issue of our sin, our rebellion against God, and the just penalty for that. But Jesus could. And only Jesus can. And so we have the words, only Jesus on the cross, and all of those deep idols are in piles underneath the cross. Because only Jesus takes care of those. And only Jesus can replace those. And so as we think about this, think grace, think forgiveness, and appreciate that Jesus in His work on the cross offers you forgiveness for all of the stuff in your life, all the junk in your life, all the sin in your life that you have committed and by the way that you ever will commit, and He still went to the cross for you. Knowing all of that, He still went to the cross for me. And we see such a perfect example of grace and forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, if we're honest, we struggle with forgiveness as a people, don't we? If someone makes you angry, if someone hurts you, if someone does something to you, you can say you forgive them, but it is really hard to get to the place where you forgive them. But Jesus did. And Jesus not only forgave, but through His grace, He brought us in as sons and daughters and accepted us into His family. And the fact that only Jesus saves, 
Only Jesus gives eternal life. Only Jesus solves the sin issue, directly attacks the deep idol of control that we talked about. And so how do we pass this on? How do we revel in this? And, and we, we sang almost all of our songs about this one this morning. We could talk about verses just on, on only Jesus saves all morning and all afternoon. But let's just take these and, and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving us. And how do we pass that on? Dads, how do you pass that on in your homes? Because you're the primary one that will pass this on when it comes to priorities and passions and direction of your home. And and one of the ways we do that is to talk about our salvation often. It it is easy to take it for granted and say, I'm saved. I was saved 50 50 years ago now. Um, and, And forget to talk about it. Tell your testimony to your kids. Tell them how you accepted Christ. How did Jesus draw you to himself? Some of you have great stories. All of you that are saved have great stories because every salvation is a miracle. And so talk about salvation. And and in everyday life, I am so glad Jesus saved me. I am so glad Jesus saved me. Moms and dads, ever blow it with your kids? I I know probably no one has this morning. Um, (laughs) Parenting is hard. And, and, And we make mistakes as parents. Part of pointing our kids to only Jesus is saying, I am so glad that God forgives me. Will you forgive me? God has given me grace. You know, another part of passing this one on and, and, and that only Jesus saves and gives eternal life, moms and dads, pray for your kids' salvation. Pray for hearts that are sold out for God. You cannot save your kids. You can provide an environment where that might happen. You can provide the training, but you cannot save your kids which again is frustrating when it attacks the idol of control because if I do the right things, of course I can save them. You can't save your kids, but Jesus can. As Jesus draws them to himself and reveals truth through the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be on our knees praying for their salvation, praying for hearts for God. Another aspect of this that I was thinking through a lot in in parenting and speaking to dads be careful in your home of, of stressing too much of approval based on performance. Now, now we want homes that are excellent. We want to raise kids that do excellent things for Jesus Christ. But if your kids sense that your approval is based on your performance, you remember, you're representing God to them. And so then it's representing this kind of works-based salvation that if I do the right thing, I can get God's approval. And so dads, moms... Blow your kids away with grace every now and then. Just blow them away. When they've blown it completely, every now and then, now now I'm not saying we don't discipline sin and we don't disciple. That's not what I'm saying. But especially like when there's accidents. When, When you go out in the garage and find out the front end of the car is completely bashed in. That, that's not from my family, just saying. That's from me when I was younger. Um. That might be a time for it to show grace. Yes, to, to have them take responsibility, but to put an arm around and say, you know what, I love you. These things happen. Let's deal with it. Let's figure this out together. And Because I know your kids will be shaking in their boots and they're thinking the axe is going to fall and it's going to be devastating. Show them Jesus by showing them grace and mercy. Forgive like Jesus fully, freely, and forever, and restore 
like Jesus. These are all ways that we'll begin to teach our kids that only Jesus saves and gives eternal life. Point number two, only Jesus gives an abundant, fulfilling life. Only Jesus gives an abundant and fulfilling life. Verse 9 ended, He will be saved and will go in and out. The sheep, as they go through Jesus at the door, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And that references Jesus' leading to to, to what we need. It's leading to the, the food that we need and protecting. But then go on to verse 10 and a key verse of this passage. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so we, we begin, Jesus begins to describe the life that we have in Him. And He's comparing it to a life apart from Him. And, and following this world and following the, the Pharisees in this case, they're just here to destroy and to kill. And so they don't offer life and they destroy the life you do have. And that's what happens when we chase idols. Temporary happiness, destruction of life. But Jesus came to have life, to give life, not to kill in this direct contrast and to give life more abundantly, which contrasts with destroying life. Now, this, is, this verse has been misused all the time. This is not a call for the Pastor Ron Foundation and the jet that I, I've been praying for. It's not what this is about. That's how health and wealth um, heresies take this. Well, have life more abundantly. That means I get everything I want. That's not at all what it means. In fact, the imagery here is of sheep that are well cared for and content. And the, the shepherding imagery goes on. And that word there deals with life in Jesus is fulfilling. Life in Jesus fulfills and satisfies where nothing else does. In fact, the word for abundantly means beyond your expectations. And so what Jesus is promising here is a life beyond your expectations, beyond health and wealth, beyond the nice car, the nice job, everything you have. None of that actually fulfills. None of that makes you permanently happy. He's saying there is something so much more than that that's beyond your expectations and it'll blow you away. That's what I'm offering you. That's what it is. We settle for the parking lot of Disneyland when God is offering to let us in. And we settle for so little. And Jesus is saying, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And, and, and this refers to a joy in life, a fulfillment in life, a goodness to life that comes as we serve and pursue Jesus. And that might mean trials. That might mean persecution on this world. But man, take a bigger view because this world's not all there is. And even in the middle of trials, if we're seeking God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, oh, it can be so fulfilling. Whereas if we compromise to go after the pleasures of this world, it leaves us empty and shattered and broken. And so Jesus is saying, I am offering you so much more. And I I think we have to view that life abundantly and life to the full, both as the richness of relationship with Jesus here, and to the resurrection and eternal life for all eternity. It includes both. It's an offer that... I don't know why we refuse sometimes. But yet we chase idols. 
to try to have a fulfilling life, to try to have an abundant life, and it doesn't work. But again, think of what Jesus gives. He saves and gives eternal life, and he gives an abundant, fulfilling life. Now, there is nothing like following Jesus. There is nothing like it. But yet, we're not drawn to it. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And it's all talking about communion with Christ, that there's fullness of joy when we're communing with Christ. At your right hand means we're in relationship with Him, and that's where the pleasures that are eternal come from. Idols can't fulfill. And so again, on each of these, I want to say, how do we do this in the home? Dads, how do we do this? Moms, how do we do this? We, we've got to make sure our kids see what we take joy in. If the only time they see us happy is when we get a raise or when we get a new toy in the garage, we are teaching idolatry. But do they see us happy when we've just read a new truth about Jesus? Do they see us excited that life in Jesus is actually fulfilling? Do they see us excited when someone comes to Christ? Are we, are we in, do we have tears in our eyes because someone has, has gained eternal life? These are the kinds of things they need to see. And, and, and just, just a self-check. If serving and loving Jesus doesn't give us that great joy and fulfillment, we need to check inside to see if we're serving and loving Jesus. Because we might be following an idol. And we might give, be giving a false idea of what it means to follow Jesus. What we need to, to teach our kids is that no matter what happens, we found Jesus and it's wonderful. No matter what illness happens, no matter what happens financially, we've found Jesus and it is better than anything else. And then as our kids get older and go through things, we need to come alongside and say, I know this is hard, but Jesus is with you. And Jesus is better. It's not easier, not richer, but better. And so only Jesus saves and gives eternal life. Only Jesus gives an abundant, fulfilling life. And then 11 through 14, he goes on with the shepherding metaphor. Only Jesus perfectly cares and protects. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he's out of there. Oh, wait, it, and leaves the sheep and flees. I was interpreting a little bit. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, and then underline this, and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The contrast to that. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. The hired hand won't give his life for the sheep but the good shepherd will. Jesus loves us. He perfectly cares. He perfectly protects. Oh, what a, what a beautiful antidote for the idol of approval that we are perfectly cared for and loved and protected by Jesus Christ. And again, we need to pass on and revel in this and pass it on to our kids. 
Dads, let me speak to you from a, your kids and your wife probably know you would die for them. Of course we would. I'm going to take the hill. I'm going to protect my family. But do they know you would die to self for them? That's a whole different ball game. And they need to see that. Will you allow your life and your plans to be interrupted for them? Do they know you accept them no matter what? Because they're watching you. And how we treat our kids shows whether we perfectly, or whether we're modeling, we're, we can't perfectly care, but whether we're trying to copy Christ and care and protect. No idol cares like Jesus does. Idols give you a moment of happiness, spit you out, and, and run to the next person. But Jesus cares and is willing to die for us. So only Jesus saves. Only Jesus gives an abundant life. Only Jesus perfectly cares and protects. Point number four, only Jesus satisfies our deepest needs and longing. Only Jesus satisfies our deepest needs and longing. Turn back a couple pages to John six thirty-five, and we'll stray from John 10 here and, and jump to John 6. John six thirty-five says, Jesus said to them, another I am statement, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in this particular passage, Jesus is using the bread and, and being hungry and thirsty to represent desires, to represent our appetites of things that we want. And Jesus says, I can provide perfectly for your desires, for your appetite. I can provide the essentials of life, the bread and the water. And if you come to me, I can perfectly provide that your appetites will be completely satisfied in me. And you won't have to chase the things of the world. You won't have to thirst after those things. So this is one of the ways we we know if we're serving an idol, when the thirst continues, when the appetite continues, when we keep wanting more and wanting more and wanting more, that's an idol because Jesus completely satisfies. And so... The, we, we chase all these other things that just don't do it for us. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 22:26 About the suffering servant, about Jesus, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And again, we have to understand what it means to be satisfied. Being satisfied doesn't mean get what I want. Being satisfied says I will perfectly have my needs filled so I can be content. And I cannot thirst after anything else. Pastor A.J. Wednesday said, don't look elsewhere for your fulfillment and satisfaction. Don't look elsewhere for your fulfillment and satisfaction because it's met in the one that we can drink from and never be thirsty again, that we can eat the bread he offers and never be hungry again. But we chase after these things. And it's it's those that follow Jesus and his will that last forever. Jesus perfectly provides. One of the tests of this is How bored do you get? Because if we get bored all the time, we're chasing the wrong things. Something isn't satisfying, right? And so if I'm looking for you to entertain me all day and I'm getting bored because you just haven't done that well enough, you haven't gotten me to the right movie and you haven't gotten me the right events, 
I'm chasing the wrong things in life. Because I guarantee if you are taking your day and trying to serve Jesus in your day and stepping out in faith and trying to do some crazy things for Jesus, you won't be bored. You might be a little scared, but you won't be bored. And so when we truly begin to understand what it means to love Jesus and seek him, take that extra time and say, how can I serve Jesus here? What can I do for the neighbor? What can I do for for people in the church? How can I be Jesus to others? How can I share the gospel? Oh, that's exciting. And that's not boring. See, only Jesus satisfies. And he satisfies our deepest needs and our longings. Moms and dads, what do your kids see? What hobbies do they see? What extra activities do they see consume you? And again, fun things, entertaining things are good gifts from God. But when they become ultimate, they become idols. So what do they see consume you? What do they see us chasing after for satisfaction? Is it Jesus and his work? Or is it sports? Fixing things. The next game, the next movie, drinking, whatever it may be. Let them see you plan and long to help others. Let them see that be a part of your family culture. How can we help others this week? What's something we can do for someone else? And at first they'll say, ah, this is boring. This is silly. I'd rather do X. Well, X doesn't satisfy. Help them see what satisfies. The last only Jesus, point number five, only Jesus is worthy of our worship. And I know I jump out of John on this one, but it's such a beautiful passage. Only Jesus is worthy of our worship. And as we finish our series of deep idols, this is how we have to end. Revelation 5, 11 to 14. Revelation 5, 11 to 14. And I have it on the screen for you. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And let's just keep going with that list. That's awesome. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Only Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is the only one worthy because he gave his life on that cross for our sins. Because he only, he's the only one that saves. Because he's the only one that gives an abundant, fulfilling life. He's the only one that satisfies our needs. Only Jesus is worthy of our worship. And so it challenges us to say, what do we worship? What do we worship? Where's our heart? That's probably an easier way to think about that. What is our longing? I want to end today. We'll end with a song in just a moment, but I want to end with what some of you men have shared of how to pass things on and how to pass on only Jesus to your kids, how to pass on the faith, not just to your kids, but to younger ones in the church. How do we do that? And just some of the responses that I got, just like I did for Mother's Day, um, just were profoundly wise. And I thank you for responding. One of the themes that came out of some of the responses were to trust God. They said, if I could tell younger ones anything, I would say to trust God. 
This person said, I would tell myself that God will provide no matter what. Even if we cannot see how he will, he will provide. Trust God. Work at growing spiritually was a theme that came up. Someone said, I would tell my younger self to take seriously the principle of spiritual growth in Christ and figure out what that means and what that looks like and then do it. And so they would say, don't waste your time when you're younger. Take it seriously to figure out how to grow in Christ and then do it. Do the hard things. Someone else said, be in the word. This is what they would tell their younger self. Be in the word so that once others know you care, then they'll see your love for God and His Word. And so trust God. Work at growing spiritually. Another theme that came up in several of the answers was actually love God and love others. Don't just say it. And one person just said, love God, love others. Um, another person said, I, I believe it would be beneficial to go back and emphasize to my younger self, if I would listen, I understand that, to value and respect intensely my relationship with God and my wife, sons, parents, friends, and co-workers. To really listen to them, to respect their perspectives, to honor their time, let them know how much I appreciate their time, love, and friendships. Love God, love others, and actually do it. Another person wrote, as part of that loving others, I love the phrase, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. It's interesting As men, as we get older, what kinds of lessons would we learn? When you hear things like trust God, actually be serious about walking with Him, and love God and love others, that's deep wisdom that we can gain from. Another category was making God part of your family life, making only Jesus part of our life. One one, um, husband and father wrote, they would go back and say, consistent prayer time with my wife at the end of the day is what I would tell my younger self to do. Simple, practical, profound. Another man wrote, continue persevering in our attempts at raising godly children and not succumb to the culture to back off. Now as current me sees, those efforts, the praying and setting high Christian standards have paid off in the lives of our adult children as we see them desiring to raise godly children for themselves. Then another category of responses was to engage with other men. And I thought that was really interesting. I wasn't expecting that one to come out. Um, but as people gave advice to their younger selves, they said, I, I'd engage in, younger, uh, in other men more, and especially older men. I, they said they've gotten more by engaging and working with and interacting with other men at the church, especially the older men, than in many other ways. It shows men, men's example can show them how to put God's love into action. And so the encouragement is to find examples and get to know them. Discipleship. Some great advice from fathers in our church, men in our church, of how they would pass on the faith. Today we want to spend some time, we've, we've spent some time reveling in Jesus. Passing on our faith by remembering what he's done. Nothing real new, but a great reminder that this is the focus of our life. It should be about Jesus above all else. So I've asked the the worship team to, to sing a song for us and just sit and listen this morning. What are we passing on? What are we passing on to our kids? What are we passing on to the next generation in our church? And how are we we just reveling in Jesus 
and replacing those idols with a love for Jesus Christ. Now that would work on a gravestone. Only Jesus. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Your work of salvation, Lord, that you offer us an abundant, fulfilling life in you if we would just seek you. Lord, that you protect and you care so perfectly. Lord, that you are worthy of worship, that you are the only thing that truly satisfies. Lord, and I I pray for village, that our heart would be that everything we do points to you, that everything we do screams only Jesus. Lord, that people would know where our hearts are at and what our deepest love is at. Lord, I pray for the dads in the room, the fathers in the room. It is an awesome responsibility, a huge responsibility to disciple young ones to follow you. And Lord, there's ups and downs with that. There's good moments. There's difficult moments. But Lord, I pray that we would be humble enough to seek you and that our example would be huge in showing our kids that only Jesus matters. Only Jesus is the answer for what they're seeking. Lord, I pray that that is the heart of our church. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen.